Welcome to React Roundup. I'm your host for today, Jack Harrington. And with me today on the panel are Paige Niederinghouse. Hey, everyone. TJ Van Toll. Hey, everybody. And our special guest for today is Samila Bala. Samila, why don't you say hello and tell us a little bit about yourself. Hello, everyone. I'm Samila Bala. I'm a front-end engineer from Nigeria. Okay, I was like, I'm also a technical writer. I'm excited. We can talk about that, too. Uh, and speaking of your technical writing, so you wrote recently on some React design patterns. Sounded pretty cool. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Okay, so uh, there's a bit of like a story behind it. So I sure. earlier on wrote about design patterns for TypeScript developers, for TypeScript in general, like for front-end engineers that use TypeScript, like design patterns. So um, I think after that, my editor reached out to me. I was like, I since I major in React, can I also do something similar but for React itself? So that was what mm-hmm. brought about, I give back to the topic. And um, so it's it's pretty, like it says, design patterns for React, component design patterns for like React. Sure. So um, what we, what I got to find out while I was researching on TypeScript is we actually do get to like use design patterns like a lot in like our day-to-day work. It's just that it has been so abstracted that we don't get to like notice it. And um, so what I did was just like, just highlighting it. I think it's, if you go through the art school and you're a React developer, you realize you actually do know this. You just don't know this is what you are doing <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. So, uh, the, the article just highlights that. Uh, so. Yeah, I find that that's the case with a lot of design patterns. You know that they're, you just use them and you don't know that you're You don't know what they are. Re- yeah, exactly. Somebody <laughs> points them out, you're like, oh, that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast, and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv and I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. So can you can you go over some of the design patterns that you cover and maybe give us some examples? Because I think, like you said, a lot of people will recognize that they actually do know them once they hear what, what kind of some of them are. Oh, okay. So I think... The one that is actually the fun pattern that, that was more interesting for me to cover was, um, the compound p- components pattern. So the first place I actually noticed it, uh, is the select elements in HTML. It's, it's actually a compound pattern because you, you can't just use your selects on its own. You can't use the option on its own. They are, they have to be like grouped together, like the parent and the child relationship. So. You get to see all these UI frameworks. I get to like dabble in some UI frameworks like Material UI and Chakra. So 
And you also get to notice when you're like creating navigations or when they also mock the form components, it's the same thing they do. So you have like a navigation, a primary navigation, let's say nav, and you have like a nav item. So those two things go together. You can't use one outside of the other, which made me curious on how that was done. So I have to like dig deeper and realized, okay, they like share a common state together. This is why they have to work together so that you get like the desirable results. So basically that was interesting. I also like tried to recreate it like in my own way to see how actually, I'm generally a very curious person to like to see how it actually works in practice. So like, mm-hmm. that was like, that was like a fun pattern for me. I, I think it's my favorite right so far. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I used to work on a library called Kendo React, which is a whole bunch of really complicated React components. And when we first started building that library, because our previous experience was with things like jQuery plugins and the way jQuery plugins work, if you want to build a nav bar, it's like one nav bar API and then you pass it everything you need. So when we started with React components, we tended to build, oh, there's just a nav bar. And then you use that and you pass it a whole bunch of junk. Uh, but what we, we moved to over time is that actually with React, usually more sensical APIs or more user-friendly APIs break that down into a number of components, as you mentioned, like kind of like select an option. But in a nav bar, it might be like a nav bar itself, but then that has like menu items, which might have other menu items or drop down menu items or or whatever the case. But typically your APIs are more like intuitive and I think reusable if you can find ways to break them up into these subcomponents, kind of like what you described. Okay, so another thing of note is um I think like what you just explained is the way React is actually built. And I think it's what always causes the whole back and forth within the community of React versus that is it allows you to just do things the way you want to do them. So most times everyone like interprets it in their own way. And uh, like you said, <laughs> usually if you're like to build an app, you're just passing everything at once. But I also highlighted that you get to a certain point and you realize this isn't actually pretty and it's becoming difficult to maintain. And then you're like, this is where like the design patterns then come into play. You have to like think of something more efficient that no matter how much you scale would, it would also be like, okay, to keep going so yeah usually you don't understand these design patterns until you felt the pain of exactly not using them. Yeah. yeah absolutely exactly and then then all of a sudden it's like why would i want to make all this extra effort and then you hit, hit a problem and you're like oh okay well, i guess why. that's why <laughs> i was playing around with them the material ui data grid yesterday well playing around at work so work doing my work with the material <laughs> ui data grid and they had an interesting pattern that it, so you would give it like for example, it was going to make a switch, right? So it'd be, it would bring up this dialog that had a list of all of the available columns, and they would all have switches on them. And you could pass into the parent data grid component, like these are the components that I want you to use, right? And by default, they would just use the regular material UI switch. But you could override that, right? And so it's really nice, like down to the like the, the individual component level, you could say, oh, okay, no, no, no. For the switch, I want to use my own switch, and here is my own switch over here. And so you didn't have to like throw away the whole data grid or implement all of the stuff on the way down to that modal or copy and paste that whole modal. It was like, oh, okay, if it needs a switch, it just goes to this this list of components and says, cool, I'll just grab that off there. And that's my switch. It's just a really nice design pattern. Exactly. Cool. So So what are some other design patterns? Yeah. Okay, so another common one, which is actually a physical one, is like the provider pattern. I think um, people might not know the name, 
or kind of like use it, like most React developers use it in their day-to-day like applications that they build. So where you get to see the provide pa- provider pattern is in React context and um, Redux. Like the old, the Redux actually has a component called the provider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so actually, old that it's just the name yeah, is provider. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually think it's actually based on the pattern itself. So yeah, yeah. So it helps. Um, we all know how like every React developer knows how much like Redux has helped, and I think in a way also inspired the context because. You have this whole, like, um, when I actually started learning React and, um, I wasn't that exposed to like the, um, Redux, you get to, you always get to like encounter the prop drilling issue. I feel like it's a rite of passage where you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you keep passing components down and like, um, data down, like, and you get like, where does it actually end? So <laughs> the provider pattern helps you solve that. It's like, um, provides like, as the name implies, it provides like essential storage of sorts so that you could store your data there and um, the components that need that data gets to like access this data directly from the source instead of like having to like pass them down different layers until they get to the point where they are needed. So basically that's how like the provider pattern works. It's, I I feel at this point, everyone should have like, every reality (laughs) should have this. (laughs) Should know about this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting. I think everybody thinks about the provider pattern and they all like, oh, there's going to be this huge raft of providers at the top of my application, like Redux it's, and blah, 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 and then, you know, mature UI, theme provider and all that. But you can put providers at any level. Like you were talking about the select and then options. You can have the select, the thing that you use to wrap the select, provide context down to all of those options. And that's a, that's a really nice, clean way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, one thing again about these patterns, I, 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 okay, I think, um, I didn't get to highlight this. You could also like combine them, mm. like to form your own custom pattern. So, um, like, like you said, you could, the component, the compound pattern and let's say the provider pattern, you could like combine both together to like make sure so that you don't get to have, because they all, the, these patterns are actually like a guide. So sometimes if I get to use them, I realize. It's actually a problem for you and not even a solution. So <laughs> like, <laughs> like sometimes you get to see some React applications and like you said, you, like you open the, the, the entry points to the application and you see a lot of providers. It's literally like a cascading shoot down and it gets difficult to maintain, to be honest, over time. So you, you could combine like components together, like in a compound pattern kind of way and also use like a provider for those compound components and Make it look structured in a way so that you don't get to like see a cascade down of providers. Each provider, I, I think it's a problem with some libraries. Like you get to see some libraries and um, <laughs> uh, some libraries have gotten to use like um, style components and uh, because they create a provider for like each context or like in the application. So when you now want to like inspect the tree, like using a dev tools or something. And trying to find out maybe where there's an issue. Now I have to like start tracing, like, you don't even know because, and because it generates like, um, generic names for those things, you can't even tell where exactly is my problem coming from. So, there mm. yeah, again, your provider pattern becomes like of a problem to you yourself. So, so I think the goal here is like at each point, know, okay, this is what is ideal for a particular use case and also have like wisdom to realize like know when it's no longer working for you and switch to something else. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, lots of times we, I think it's basically a meme at this point, the like 10 <laughs> levels of providers. And it, I think any, I think any large React app inevitably ends up somewhere near there. But it's also worth considering the alternative to that, right? The fact that you have those 10 providers keeps the rest of your components way cleaner than if they mm-hmm. had to like drill or you're passing all that stuff down to components. So like, if you're building an inherently complex app, that complexity has to go somewhere. And having a bunch of providers isn't the worst way of dealing and managing that complexity. You can build it yeah. into the framework like they do with Angular with dependency injection. <laughs> uh, yeah, for those of you for those of you listening, Jack Jack just made a a face that conveyed what he how he feels about that. So. <laughs> I guess the only thing to be aware of, and this is something that isn't talked about as much as it used to be if you're using something like context, is that whatever you have triggering context, if you have multiple components that are all consuming it and changing variables on it, every time one of those children components changes context, it will cause the whole app to re-render, which can sometimes be a performance issue depending on how data heavy your application might be, in which case it probably makes more sense to break it up into multiple providers. But like we were saying, if you go ahead and do that, then you can more strategically place these smaller context providers just where they're affecting the particular components that they need to be instead of wrapping the entire application. So that's just something to be aware of that it could cause performance issues. But I would say Probably in 95% of the cases, it won't. So go ahead and wrap it high up and make sure that everything has access at the beginning. And then if you need to for performance reasons, you can always go back and refactor that later on. Yeah, it's I'd say like, especially if, if you have data that you know is going to be changing all the time, just be very careful, I guess, about where you place that. <laughs> like, we, I think we're, our tendency is to put every provider global just because it's easy, um, mm-hmm. which... Sometimes that you truly need global data because, mm-hmm. like, if a u- signed in user changes, chances are your entire app does need to know about that. But lots of times, other stuff though, you can make more granular. So yeah, so that's the provider pattern. What else have you got for us? Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So I I feel like I walked backwards from the third to the first. To <laughs> <laughs> the last is like the presentational and container components pattern. Uh, this, I think this was made popular by Dan Abramov, um, which, um, for, for anyone knowing the React community, because I feel like everyone, even outside the React community, should know who Dan Abramov is right now. Is, uh, I think he works on the React squad team and I think was the developer of Redux. So, and he no longer, like, disclaimer, he no longer supports this person. Even if I still, I still do feel it's, it's still being used because I've seen it oh, in yeah. some few places. Yeah. So, so in the presentational and container components pattern, this was when we had like class and like function components before React hooks, where like your components that needed states were kept separately from stateless components. So those components that needed states, we are now called the container components and the ones that had nothing to do with states. We are just in charge of like, the UI, we are called like the presentational components or like things got to change when we had hooks. I still do feel it's important because even right now while we have hooks, you still, we still get to like separate this uh, components and like keep 
components that don't fetch data or like they're just re- still responsible for like presentation separately from the components that like need the business logic and all that. So that's that keep everything structured. So it might not be used in the same way he initially wrote about it, but I still do feel it's being used like a hybrid form of some, of some sort. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Go ahead, TJ. No, I think there's a lot of benefits. So like, even if the, because the, the specifics can change depending on exactly what you're building and how you're building it, but just the idea of keeping logic out of your components that are doing the rendering is definitely has a lot of benefits. Just in addition to what you mentioned, it makes things like testing easier. If your template isn't doing logic and your logic is elsewhere, that makes it easy, easier to test and just let your presentational components just be really, really stupid and and render <laughs> it tends to make your like logic more reusable because if you have like some logic hidden in a presentational component well you're not going to be able to use that for anything else it's you know buried deep in there versus having it someplace else that you could potentially leverage it elsewhere so like i said even if the the apis matter if dan's opinion on these have changed i think the general principle absolutely exactly. still applies yeah, so what's his advice just... now is it hooks is it custom hooks <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, it's his advice now is just um, you should know when to like use this. He's not like advocating for its use anymore. That is the way he intended it to be. So mm-hmm. you should like just discard this and go with what you feel should be. Like he's not giving like a personal advice anymore on this. So then it was more. I think <laughs> okay. it's become, it became it's become more. Of, mm-hmm. Yeah, it became more of like a law then because since he like advocated for that, everyone felt like it was the right thing to do. So he has to like come out and say, okay, at this point, um, it's since everyone like holds his opinion in high regard, at this point, he's saying he doesn't think this is the right way anymore. Yeah. Since like we now have hooks and function um, components can now have their own states. So that's just it. Yeah. For my own experience, since functional components has, has become the de facto way to write React, it makes to me, it makes a lot more sense to have the smaller pieces of components be presentational. So maybe if you have like a card that you're reusing across multiple pages or buttons or some just some smaller piece of an application that could be reused inputs, tables, drop downs, what have you. Those to me, it makes a lot of sense to keep those as uh, presentational because you just pass props into them and whatever functions they need or uh, data they they need to display they can. But then you know even the larger like page wide pieces of the application you can use the functional hooks to pull in the application state or do the data transformations or whatever. But yeah, I I kind of agree that it's it's less of an issue I think than it ever has been because we can use state and whatever whatever components we want to at this point. Exactly. Principle least surprise is what I like to go with. If it seems like it should just render stuff, then just render stuff. If it, if it seems like it should be smart, then that's okay. If, if it's smart, just make it easy to manage the smarts. So you mentioned you did some TypeScript patterns. So what which patterns did you cover for TypeScript? For um, five TypeScript listeners out there. <laughs> okay, I covered single, <laughs> single sin pattern, the observer pattern. Oh, yeah. The factory method pattern, yeah. I think the factory method for React developers is a really good one. You know, just like that material UI thing I was thinking about earlier. Yeah, exactly. Like we we also get to see like some UIs like when um 
the toast components most UI frameworks um, use the factory method pattern because because of the way it allows you to like okay so when you like create the toast component and you just get to like use the methods to that like so toast dot like show something of that nature to like show a toast component so basically you're just using a factory method pattern that has been like encapsulated yeah just by somebody else yeah exactly <laughs> part of the framework hi this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs and lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Yeah, I'm trying to think what are some specific ways you would use the factory pattern in your React app? I think I think for me, if you, you know, if you don't, if you want it to be adjustable, what you create, you know, as I mentioned earlier, like, okay, so I need to create a switch. So instead of just directly binding, hard binding my component to that particular, com you know, my smart component, but this other component, right? I'm going to loosen that coupling so that you can just, just tell me what you want. Like, you know, hey, if it's a switch, I'll, I'll give you a switch. If it's a dialogue you want, I'll give you a dialogue. You know, as long as whatever you give me conforms to the, the API that I'm expecting, then we're cool. And that, that really opens up the reusability by loosen, loosening the coupling. I mean, I, I gotta say, like 90% of all these factory patterns are about loosening coupling between mm -hmm. things. You've got some things that are reusable, but other things that need to be customized based on whichever option you've chosen. So a good example that I can think of is one that my old team was working on. We had uh, a variety of different ordering types that you could do. So you could do like the subscription-based you know, every three months, send me a new thing or just the one off or a couple of different, just different options like that. So there were some things that were included in all of them, like you needed the user's name, their address, their credit card information, things like that. But then you also had these different options to change. So we had kind of a generic factory that would create all the required things. But then based on you know, if this was toggled or that was toggled, different fields would be populated as well with information. So that could be another good reusable one. It's where you have enough overlap that it makes sense to have kind of one component that's handling it, but then different options based on, you know, a couple different button clicks or, or choose chosen things. Also, you want to do like service connectors and you want to mock stuff. It's like you could, you know, give it a a give your whatever data fetcher, hey, here's the or you give the data fetcher to the component that's going to be doing the, the data fetching. And then that component makes those requests. But if you want to do testing, you just give it the mock version, right? And mm -hmm. that just makes it so much easier to kind of stub out testing stuff. Yeah, you said a lot of these design patterns are uh, related to looser coupling. They're also <laughs> related to just making things easier to test. Yeah. As well, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Better architecture. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Testing is good. A little bit. Nice to do. Every once in a while. 
So Samila, do you get to use a lot of these different patterns in your day-to-day coding? Yeah. Like, so an example is the, I, I got to use like the, the compound components pattern. Yeah. So I think we, our work, we had to like create a custom model for what we are working on. And, uh, initially, like, like TJ ex- explained, um, we did it the whole, you just pass in all the items you need to like the period component and, and render it. But at a certain point, we, are, we realized that wasn't scaling anymore for us. So, um, so we had to like refactor the whole, the entire without components, like use the whole, um, components pattern. So we now had like, um, a modal. Then we have like a modal head, we have like a modal body, and we have like a modal filter. And um, if you try to like use a modal body on its own, it's not going to work because it's supposed to be on that modal itself. So yeah, that was like one use case. And what sort of apps are you building for work? <laughs> okay, so pr- primarily I get to work on um, the remittance products. Um, like I said, it's, it allows um, users to, to send money to Africans and people in Nigeria because... Um, we have like this whole remittance problem, like in Africa, in Nigeria in particular. So let's say I like work remotely for a company in the US or a company in, in Germany or in Europe in general. And I want to get paid. Like the payment system is like, isn't ideal. PayPal doesn't support my country. So I can't get paid via PayPal. And, um, like wire transfers, you run into problems. Um, so we have like tried to use, um, the crypt blockchain infrastructure to like solve that problem. So you send the money from wherever you are and we convert it into like, um, crypto and remit it to the user's accounts and the country. So like build our own payment infrastructure basically. So to make it easier for Africans to be able to like receive money from anywhere in the world. That's fascinating. I, yeah, I can say firsthand that as having been part of companies that have tried to hire internationally, lots of times it's just an enormous HR hassle, unfortunately, like just because every place has different laws, different restrictions. And even though I think a lot of places are now far more open to remote, you know, work anywhere you want. Mm-hmm. it's a struggle for companies to to go over the legal hurdles, right? Like even if you might want the best person might be in Nigeria or might be wherever, but if it it's going to cause a huge hassle to figure out how to pay that person, well, right. then I'll take somebody who's less skilled but that I don't have to deal with any of that nonsense around. So it's a fascinating idea to try to come up with better solutions for that. Exactly. So how has it been so far? Has it been extremely difficult to get this up and running or was it a little bit smoother than you anticipated? Uh, it wasn't exactly smooth. <laughs> so, um, so, <laughs> um, so I think one thing I got to figure like working on this product is my teammates and the rest of the company is the development aspect of the product sometimes might even look like the easiest part. You have to like go sometimes to like legal compliance, compliance to make sure like you're on the right side of the government. And mm-hmm. yeah, so, uh, I think that's actually much more difficult because you have to like understand the law and make sure what you're building is, it's not just build like what you're building also like conforms like the law. Yeah. So basically. <laughs> and do you only do, uh, transfers to Nigerian 
country to the Ni- country of Nigeria, or do you also support other countries in Africa as well? Okay, so right now we support only Nigeria, but I think like like in the coming months or very soon, we'll also like support other countries. The app is actually called, it's called Send Cash, by the way. I realized I didn't mention it. So, uh, <laughs> nice plug, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so if you're in Nigeria and you want to like receive money, uh, it allows you to like, uh, as it implies, receive money into your bank account. That it's a great name. It's like very clear. Yeah. Send Cash. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So how is it React Native or is this a web app? What is just to kind of circle us back into the React world. Um, okay, so it's it's we have a React Native app, and um, mm. we also have a React. The web app is written in React, then the mobile app is written in React Native, um, and it's kind of like the React Native app is kind of like um, a hybrid of sorts. And it's it was actually interesting when I started working on it. So because we didn't want to like spend too much time in development, and our motto in the company is actually to like move as fast as possible. And still maintain quality. So yes. yeah, our React Native app is it's kind of like a container for like the web app. So we okay. utilize like a lot, a lot of web views. So so that when we like build the web app, when we build the web app, it's, we are kind of like building for all platforms. So we don't have to like go back and like build like a separate mobile app. So we just render what has been built on the web to like the mobile app, which is like a container. It's literally. Um, yeah, exactly. It's literally a browser. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's pretty common. I mean, oftentimes it's like, hey, I just need access to the camera. You know, like make a React Native <laughs> app just so that it's an app and so that you can get access yeah. to the camera, you know, kind of thing. If you're going to like yeah, take so pictures it's of like, a barcode. Or yeah, it's, yeah, it's like an advanced PWE, but like let's say a PWE yeah. that's kind of right. more custom. Yeah. yeah, it's well, more it, custom. Yeah. And like it's been fun because... It has like its drawbacks for uh, like the advantages for like a team of ours, like it's immense and it's been fun working on it so far. How do you specifically share the code? Is it one repository that builds both or do you have like separate repos and like the app imports part of the, uh, like the web code? How, how does the sharing of that work? Um, okay. So we have, um, we have like multiple repos. We have like, um, a repo for like the mobile app and we have, um, for like the web app separate. So like I said, um, the mobile app now basically what it does, we have like some native components and then we just have like the web view that like renders whatever comes from the web. So for gotcha. things like the general workflow of the app, like the general activities you have to perform on the app, we view them on the web and we render to the web view on the mobile. Or there are, there are like some like drawbacks, let's say like biometrics, we have to like <laughs> build on the mobile. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Basically, that's how it works. Cool. That's very cool. So how long did it take you to get a working prototype or to get this working website? So it seems like, you know, I just imagine what it would be like trying to deal with government stuff and people handling money and buying crypto and selling crypto. <laughs> so it seems really complicated, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we, we've kind of like, the whole purpose was to like abstract all this from the users. So... When you try to use the app, it's kind of straightforward, like most banking apps would look. So you want to like send cash, you put the amount you want to send in the currency you want to send it in. And, um, when you click on send the accounts, where are you sending the money to generally? And then you now get to like the payment method. So we actually do have like 
a cash payment method. So in case you don't want to like interact with like crypto directly, so you pay with your card and we now handle all the like complexities behind the scene and just take the money from you and deliver it to you whoever is responsible for it. So that's the whole purpose, like making this as simple as possible. So you don't have to like bother about, do I have to like send Bitcoin? Do I have to like my wallet? I my wallet. Crypto. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But this is my private have... wallet, my public wallet. Oh my God. <laughs> Your <Yeah>. ledger. <laughs> Cold <laughs> storage. Uh, <laughs> but we also do have, we also do have like the, the Bitcoin itself for those who are still interested in doing that. And we have mm-hmm. like, um, we have like explainer videos to make sure like it's easy for you. So the whole point is to make this as a seamless process as possible. Seamless as possible to buy your NFTs. Cause that's where really <laughs> yeah. where the money is. No, no, no. <laughs> no what? No. Oh, yeah. It's all about the NFTs, man. <laughs> you got to get the picture of the monkey with the headphones and things. <laughs> Actually, I am curious because do you just work on the front end side of things or do you get to touch on any of the like craziness of the, the crypto and blockchain side of things at all? So I never get to like work on that. Like I think yeah. said, I, I, I have to like take conscious decisions, like learn what happens behind the scene because it's, all, it's also been abstracted for like we the front end. Yeah, like, which is good, yeah, so right? Yeah. Very good, should, yeah. Very yeah. Good. So it seems like we are building, you know, we all have like web two and web three. So it seems like I'm building like normal web two. Yeah. So I don't get to like interact with like the web three aspect, the blockchain aspect of the application. You're you're probably better off for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The people who are writing the smart contracts, I don't know what they're doing over there, but Solidity seems to be very popular. If you want to get into that kind of thing, you can Uh, do that. Mm -hmm. High demand. Yeah. A lot of so interest did, in Web3, for sure. Yeah, a lot. A lot. So how did you get uh, connected with this company? Was it something that you were already kind of interested in? Or was it just kind of out of the blue that they came to you and said, hey, do you want to help us build this? Um, okay, so actually, the, the one of the co-founders is um, is someone that I've like, should I say a mentor? Because, well, not like a direct mentor. It's someone I've looked up to. <clears throat> like, you know, like, I do this thing where I imagine where I want to be in my career and look for like people that haven't gotten to that point and try to like mirror the steps they follow to like get to that point. So, um, I think they, I usually follow them on Twitter and one day they, they put out like a job, um, post. Yeah. So I saw it and I was like, initially I was, I, it was like a straight interview because it was, uh, the interview process is actually, I did enjoy the interview process. It wasn't like the usual, you have to like send your CV and a cover letter and then you come for like a whiteboard interview or sorts. So mm-hmm. they just post, it was straight to the challenge. They wanted you to like, um, work on like a take home challenge and, um, mm-hmm. then they get to talk to you. Mm-hmm. So I looked at the take home challenge and I was like, can I do this within the time frame? Because I think I saw it late. Uh, it was supposed to be like for one week and I saw it like three, four days late. And I was like, can I do this? Um, well, what was it? Yes, no. Don't leave us hanging. Um, <laughs> okay, so it was actually building like the profile page of um, your GitHub, your GitHub profile page generally. They want, okay. <laughs> they wanted it to be in a way whereby you get to put someone's username and it generates like the GitHub profile page. So, oh. um, so you had to I, make was, the yeah. requests and stuff. I see. Exactly. So it's it was just a way to like show, and you are not to use any framework. 
So it was a way to like show your understanding of like web technologies. So it was, it was actually a fun project. I enjoyed building it, to be very honest. And that was like the first time because they used, gra- where I worked, they used GraphQL. And that was like the first time I had to like work with GraphQL. Mm. I've always been like rest, rest, rest. So, yeah. um, it was fun to build. So after that, um, I think a week later they reached out to me and, um, then I had the whole interview about like my background and all that. And basically that was it. Then after that, they invited me to come work with them for like two weeks to like see how, like, how I could chill with the team. Um, like it paid two weeks work. Um, so idea. I was like, I was like, I was like an employee for two weeks. Well, just, we are just trying to like see if we are like a good fit for each other. Like maybe if I would like the company and if they also like, like working with me. So mm-hmm. that was it. I think I, I was sold like one weekend. <laughs> <laughs> you like them. They're not, you're not sure they like you. Yeah. <laughs> I was sold one weekend. And, uh, so it was now my opportunity to still actually do like working with me. So awesome. then the offer came in. That's very cool. And it's it's a really good idea that I hadn't even considered. It's like finding somebody that you like where they've taken their career and then trying to figure out how to either to backward and en- backward engineer how they got exactly. there or if you can, you know, try and work with them and get it straight from them. <laughs> exactly. So it's fascinating, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure who I do that for, but it's cool. <laughs> Question for you guys. So they, they asked you to go and build this in vanilla JavaScript, but the job is React. I mean, that kind of, I don't know. I, is that like, because mm, there are some elements of React that are like yeah, needing to know hooks and things like that, that, you know, may, if you knew vanilla JavaScript really well, that's great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're not demonstrating to me that, that, that you know hooks, like as an example. Like, that's just an interesting choice. So like, look for React, but but test vanilla. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, we actually don't marry like technology in my company because I think ah. when I got to work, work the, the the apps were initially built with Angular. So when I got to join the company, that was the time when they were actually transitioning from like Angular to like Angular and Ionic to like React and React Native. So mm. it's kind of something they do. So if we realize the technology is not working for us, like we make decisions like change something that actually works for us. So. We kind of like need developers that it will be easier for you to like, you already know the basics of how this thing, so it will be easier for you to like move from one point to another. So we could wake up tomorrow and React Native no longer works for us and we have to like move into like something else. So instead of like the developers in the company don't know Flutter and what do you do? You have to like hire the Flutter developers. You like have to like the process of retraining. At what point do you start retraining? So if like the developer already has like the basics and is also like, willing to learn and it's not like rigid in a way it's easier to like just okay this is what we are doing and everyone we take a while to like learn the basics and we keep building yeah that makes a lot of sense and i guess one of the things probably that they were trying to do was the fact that if they were moving or transitioning from angular to react they may not have had a lot of developers who are very strong in it at the moment to kind of review your code Mm, so maybe reverting to a more basic just javascript type of programming problem would be easier to evaluate. <laughs> yeah, I think like for in terms of structuring an interview, it kind of depends on what the company is sort of looking for. Because if you have a lot of it on the flip side, if you have a lot of React expertise in house, uh, maybe you want to make sure people are more adept at the fundamentals because you've got 
people that can help with the React side of things. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I could see it going either way. It just sort of depends on the role and like what you envision people coming in doing. Yeah. I'm glad that you felt confident in it, though, because, boy, I'd be doing a whole lot of Googling if I had to write vanilla JavaScript. <laughs> with all the framework <laughs> help that I use nowadays. Oh, 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 I also have to do that. Like, I also have to do that. I think I did that a lot. Like, so, I forgot a lot of things. Like, I was like, how do you actually even create an element dynamically <laughs> in JavaScript? <laughs> so, I had to, like, go back and refresh my knowledge about the DOM because React has, like, yeah. abstracted a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So. And I think at the end of the day, that was what they were looking for. Um, like just basic problem solving, because it didn't have yeah. to be perfect. It's just, okay, this is what you're looking for. And you know how to like get the solutions to what you're looking for. Yeah, that's true. It's sort of an interesting way to give people something that they're probably not familiar with doing just to exactly. see if they can go through the struggle of that and come out with something decent. I kind of see. Exactly. Yeah. Well, speaking of introducing people to things that they're not familiar with, I think this is a good time to talk about picks for the week. What do you guys think? Yeah, let's do it. Hey, folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. That's almost a Paige Niederinghouse level segue there. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Paige Niederinghouse, Paige, what do you got for us for a pick for this week? My pick is going to be a technical pick this week, and it is mm. going to be the Netlify CLI. So if you're not as familiar with Netlify, it is one of the many uh, hosting platforms that's out there. It's great for Jamstack applications in particular. Um, and they've just made it really, really easy to get a project from a GitHub repo to a, a living, breathing website. Um, so I've been using it for personally for my Gatsby uh, website for, I don't know, a year and a half, two years. I made an update this weekend. The Gatsby website was a couple versions behind. So I spent some time hacking around and getting it upgraded to the latest and greatest. And when I did that, the one-click deploy on Netlify broke. And after trying to roll back a couple of versions and seeing that this was an issue that a lot of Gatsby users who've upgraded to V4 have been having, the the way that I finally found a workaround was to use the Netlify CLI on my local machine to build my production repo and then push it to prod that way. There's something with... Gatsby's new image processor that's a little bit memory intensive and it seems like Netlify just can't quite handle it. Um, So that was the only solution that I found that worked for me. So I'm going to say that, you know, I looked at some different cloud hosting platforms, really didn't want to go through the hassle of switching and finally figured out that this, you know, was worth a shot and lo and behold, it worked. So I hope that that's something that gets fixed and soon the one-click deploy <laughs> will work again so I can just push to the master branch and let it go. But until it does, um, this was a really good solution and I'm glad it was out there. So Netlify CLI, if you are if you need some manual help or you want to try and do it from your local machine instead of depending on GitHub. Yeah, Netlify is awesome. All right, TJ, what's, what's your pick? 
Yeah, I'm going to go with a technical pick as well. Mm -hmm. This week, actually, I'm going to pick Platform.io. So this is a service that it's, it's really for any IoT listeners or anyone who's tinkered in that space before. If you've ever tried to get an Arduino environment up and running, you might know that you have to install a bunch of crazy stuff and it's not as easy as you might like it to be. And Platform.io actually is a service that kind of does all that for you. And they've actually now, they're now written as a VS Code extension. So you can just install the extension. You basically choose which Arduino board you want. And then it behind the scenes installs everything and figures out how to deploy code there. So you can just write code in VS Code and deploy it straight to Arduino and let it take care of all the like wonkiness that goes into actually like compiling code and pushing them out to these devices. So it's pretty slick. So if you are tinkering in that space at all, I'd recommend checking it out. I'm going to send that to my daughter right now because she sent me a picture of this breadboard that she put together last night with an you know, Arduino attached to it and all kinds of wires hanging out all over the place. So I'm sure she'd love it's, that. And she uses VS Code, so that's good. It's it's cool, and it's seemingly completely free. I don't know like how they <laughs> make money. But it looks like there's like a for business link on their site. So maybe, I don't uh, know, maybe for professional stuff there. But uh, I never had to pay anything to try it out, and it worked great. You're not selling your data to you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. So, Myla, how you, what, what kind of pick you got for this week? Okay, so I would also go technical. And uh, my pick is kind of what gets in much more traction right now. And that's like um, the remix itself. So, um, mm. I think I was I was working on an article recently. And I had to, like, work with remix. And it was, it was so much fun to use. Like, so much fun. I could understand the hype behind it. And I just, um, what I love so much about it is the way they try to, like, most frameworks just try to, like, follow what React does and build around it. They went outside the box. Like, the whole way they do data fetching is just so awesome. And it was so fast and sleek. So, yeah. Remix yeah, is Remix is great. Cool. <laughs> if you haven't tried it, you should definitely try it. Oh, I'm going to break the mold. And my, my pick this week is going to be non-technical. Nintendo is coming out with the Nintendo Sports for Switch. So if you remember the the good old days of Nintendo Wii Tennis, Wii Bowling, oh, yeah. and Wii Ping Pong, I don't know whatever. It was just so awesome. <laughs> I remember playing that with my kid back in the day, you know, trying to compete over who could get, you know, the best bowling score and stuff. It was just so much fun. So I think that comes out soon. Well, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be out. So yeah. I'm excited. How is that going to work with the motion controls? Is like yeah, it's the built little, in like, the Wiimotes. Oh, sorry, oh, the, the Wiimotes are the, the new whatever the remotes. Oh uh, yeah, the like uh, what are those called? I, I knew oh, what you meant switch. when you said Wiimote, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The things that you need to rebuy because there turns out there's also some stickiness issues on them that they're doing a class action lawsuit on. Oh no. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Same thing with PlayStation Five. Actually, some of the oh, the it, like the. Yeah, the little thumbsticks get stuck. You know, oh, they have drift. No. Yeah. <laughs> drift. Yeah, I've I've experienced not the good the kind drift. of drift. I've experienced <laughs> the drift problem, so I might have to look up this class action lawsuit because I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we 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 bought multiple sets of remotes, but apparently you can actually you can re if you are the gadgety kind of, kind of person, you can crack them open, do some resoldering, and and fix it yourself. You don't have to rebuy it, but and they're hellaciously expensive. They're like fifty bucks each. Yeah, 
And apparently oh. they're called joy pads, the, the individual ones. <laughs> joy so pads. If you want to get the names right around your friends, there, there you go. <laughs> I wouldn't have guessed that for a million dollars, honestly. No. <laughs> <laughs> have you done that like Netflix trivia game? Like, what do you call the Wemo or the new Wemo? I'll probably like, yeah, I'll probably Joy just pad. stick with Wee. I'll probably just stick Wemo. with Wemo because yeah, yeah. <laughs> makes sense. Exactly. What is that? All right. Well, this has been super fun, guys. So uh, I look forward to seeing us all next week. Yeah. yeah thanks for joining us, Malia. This yeah. is a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.